the minor prophets, Haggai chapter 2, and I read that because it is referred to in the passage that is our main text in the book of Hebrews. So I'm um, pausing a moment with a series of sermons on 2 Corinthians uh, to be able to have uh, this occasion celebrated, Thanksgiving, and then also start with the Advent sermons and messages until Christmas Day itself. So let's begin reading God's word. I invite you to stand if you're able and turn to Haggai chapter 2, just the first six verses. In the seventh month of the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? It, is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O jo Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. We turn then to the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and we'll read verses 18 through 29 and the focus is on the last two verses, 28 and 29. But we'll start the passage entitled in this edition, A Kingdom That Cannot Be Shaken. Verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, so that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, meaning the Israelites, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful 
for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters, it is a privilege to bring God's word to you once again on this Thanksgiving Day Sunday. Of course, we celebrate here in America the Thanksgiving Day later this week, but it is appropriate that we prep our minds and our hearts for that day when we gather together as God's people and to give thanks to the Lord. So why are we thankful? What are you thankful for? Why are you a thankful person? Are you not a thankful person? possible too. And if you're not a thankful person, why is that? Uh, all these questions are pretty deep and profound uh, and maybe a little bit unsettling, um, you know, especially if you've had a week maybe that wasn't going so well and maybe you had a few complaints here and there. Um, you forgot to be thankful. Uh, but um, why are we thankful? Why are we called to be thankful? Well, we are focusing our minds on what the Word of God teaches us and um, with the verses that we just finished, chapter 12, with, uh, I draw your attention to the theme of God's kingdom, um, the kingdom of Christ, more specifically. Uh, that is the theme of the Bible, I would say, uh, or at least you can make a case for that, that the Bible, if you read the Bible from beginning to end, it's about God's kingdom, his, his royal authority, his lordship. He is the king of kings, right? And all the kings of this earth are under him. They are, as it were, his servants. Um, and so the Bible is a lot about the kingdom of God. Um, and I want to uh, suggest to you that th thanksgiving for Christ's kingdom calls for worship. Um, Christ, uh, thanksgiving for Christ's kingdom calls for worship. The first thing I want to mention is uh, that is, the kingdom of Christ itself is a gift. Uh, we don't take God's kingdom for granted, do we? Um, as God's people, that is. As God's people who have understood our need for a savior, a need for divine forgiveness, because we are under condemnation. We have been delivered from that, as it were, out of the house of bondage. Uh, in Adam, to sin, we have been liberated, set free. Um, we have uh, been given a gift. Um, that gift is the gift that we have in Christ. And when we receive through faith in Christ the forgiveness of our sins, the reconciliation with our Heavenly Father, then we are also restored to a kingdom. The Lord in his wisdom established his kingdom, his kingship, in the very earliest pages of the Bible. Uh, when you think about the book of Genesis, when you think about how God placed Adam and Eve uh, in the Garden of Eden, sometimes referred to, refer to as paradise, uh, that was a real place. They were real people. We need to see that, say that these days because there are those who, you know, who, who, who 
do not believe that Adam and Eve were uh, real human beings. Um, when we follow the authority of God's word and its declaration of how um, God revealed his plan of salvation, then we see how the king of heaven placed a kingdom on earth. And in that Edenic paradise environment, the king ruled over his creation. And so beautifully, didn't he? Everything was well in that world, in that creation. That kingdom theme is uh, lasting not too terribly long, unfortunately. Those of us who know our Bibles, we know that um, sin came into the world through the disobedience of our first uh, parents. And so they were expelled from that kingdom. They are living in alienation from God and his kingship. And so we are, as members of the human race, strangers and aliens to God himself. And we are trying to find our way back, don't we, as lost people. And we do that by all kinds of ways. We create idols. We create philosophies, ideologies. We have passions. We have interests. Uh, hobbies, it could be anything at all that we use to quench the thirst for God. Because that is what it is ultimately, that is what it is ultimately. Mankind is no longer in fellowship with God and therefore will still be religious. And so there will be that religious component that makes us who we are as image bearers of God by which we seek our way back into paradise. But that's impossible, and it can only be restored when God himself reaches out to those who have rebelled against him. And that is exactly what the Lord did. Adam, where are you? That's where the good news started, didn't it? And so I just want to give you a quick overview of the kingdom theme in God's word. You find it already at the very first pages of creation. Um, we, see it in, um, we see it in the Davidic uh, rule and dynasty of King David, where um, the kingdom theme continues um, and is, as it were, being uh, restored. But the Davidic kingdom is also not the final coming of the kingdom, is it? Um, there is a sort of part to it that is going to be forever, and that is the part of the throne of David, where God has promised to David there will always be one on the throne, and we see that culminating in the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. But as such, as another physical manifestation of a kingdom on this earth, even though it was sanctioned by God himself, it is a kingdom that soon enough fell apart, didn't it? That's all the history that we see in the Old Testament scriptures of the divided kingdom, the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom, um, and it was just uh, a time again of the judges, almost, it feels like. They were so disobedient, so ungrateful, unthankful uh, to the Lord that they, um, they made, it, made up their own uh, devices and um, the, their own opinions about how to uh, worship the Lord while at the same time getting along with the nations and idols of the world. Um, and so that Davidic kingdom called for the better kingdom, didn't it? And so in Jesus Christ, we have 
the Lord saying to his disciples and to those he met on his way, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, there's a kingdom that you need to receive in your heart. Um, and so when we read these words, um, just at face value, uh, that just jumps off, the, off, off the, the text. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That first part uh, is the emphasis here in this point in the sermon, that we uh, receive a gift that can only be received. We don't work for it. We don't accomplish this, uh, this, this uh, reality. It is a gift that we receive by faith. And so the Lord gives us um, the kingdom of Christ himself as a free gift. Imagine that, that we have rebelled against God. We have turned our backs on him. We have gone our own way. And even as Christians, we often, as the psalmist, uh, the hymn writer wrote, we said that there is always this, this tendency to still go back to Egypt. Uh, if I can put it in those terms. Uh, that um, God nevertheless has given us a gift and that gift is being received. So there's a, once, uh, there's a sense in which we get the gift once for all when we are justified before God through faith in Christ. But the Greek is indicating to us that there is a present tense, a continuous sense in which this gift is being received. And how do we continue to receive the gift when we heed the instruction that comes with this, that we ought to give thanks to the Lord and that we ought to worship him with reverence and awe. And that is, of course, the same calling, but on the new covenant um, dispensation that the old Israelites had when they were set free from Egypt. Will you be faithful? Will you honor my word? And so here's my Ten Commandments, the Lord says. This is my rule of gratitude for you. Live by them, and you will be blessed. Disobey them, you will not be blessed. And that, of course, is a principle that continues even today. Yes, this kingdom is not of this world. The kingdoms of this world don't last all that long. Recently, I read about uh, Alexander the Great. Um, magnificent person died, I think, at age 30. 30 or 33, he already died. And imagine what he accomplished. <laughs> Mind-boggling. But he perished. Somebody saw him take his last breath, shall we say. Somebody had to bury him. All the kings of this earth, all the presidents of this world will be buried. And when the Beatles said that we are more, power, more popular than Jesus, where are the Beatles? I don't know if there's anyone left, but they're in their graves, most of them. And they are awaiting the resurrection too. And what resurrection will that be? When you don't confess the name of Christ, when you don't go on your knees, when you repent of your sins, and you say, Lord Jesus, save me, for without you, I will face an eternity that is without you. And the Bible calls that hell. That's a very serious moment in the sermon, isn't it? But it is something that needs to be said. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit driving you, leading and directing you, informing your thinking and your actions, your outlook on life, if that isn't filtered by the 
uh, also informed by the Holy, uh, the Word of God. Yeah, then you live for the kingdoms of this world. And there is no hope in that. The kingdoms don't last that we have. Um, because this world, this creation, is begging for redemption. Somewhere in my notes, I included a comment, and I, uh, I tremble with fear when I mention it, because we have a physicist among us. But um, in physics, if I'm correct, there is such a thing as the second law of thermodynamics. And uh, our brother, Manweiler, could give us a lecture on that principle alone probably for an hour or two. But the second law of thermodynamics, as I understand it, suggests that everything created, all things that are the matter that is created matter, left to itself, has only one tendency. It doesn't have the tendency to build up, but it has a tendency left by itself without outside influences coming into it to uphold it, to encourage it. It will break down. Is that roughly correct? Thank you so much for saying yes. <laughs> it's like a scrambled egg I read somewhere that you can't put back into a complete egg. Uh, you know, you, you cannot undo the principle by which this fallen creation operates, despite the fact that there's all these beautiful things that God put in place to, to, to make this world continue to function. But left to itself, there's that tendency to disintegrate. And so, if that is the pattern or the order of creation, then why would you put your trust, your hope, your desires into this world because it won't last. There is no hope for the person who says, if I have that money or if I have that degree or if I have that status or influence um, or that person in my life. Um, and if that's all it is without Christ, we still have nothing. It's for a moment. It's passing. It's, as the words of the imagery of the text, it's shakeable. There comes a day when the Lord will again shake. You know, the people were shaken in fear and trembling at the Mount Sinai. That's what the text is referring to in Hebrews. When God spoke, and boy, did the people fear God. They were, they were shaking in their boots. They were, they were saying, Moses, please let this stop because we are, we are going to die previous chapter 19 in Exodus and the text tells us that there will come a day when once more God will shake God will shake when he speaks his word of judgment when Jesus comes again and he judges all the nations the, the, he will judge he will shake everything that is not that is not permanent and so for us who are Christians who are kingdom citizens, for us to reach that final consummation point, that culmination point in which we are forever set free, it is by way of crisis, it is by way of judgment that we reach that point. And so there will be a day when once more the words of Haggai will be fulfilled, who, by the way, saw the coming of the Lord as one event. 
but we know because of the New Testament that in God's providence, it was a one event divided in two parts. So we talk about the first coming of the Lord and the second coming of the Lord. But that coming of the Lord is going to be completed when the Lord comes again. And the question is, if you are ready, when you are, are you ready for the King of Kings to come to you and to say to you, bow down before me? Because I am king, I am Lord, and you are the one I made. And I made you for the purpose of glorifying me, of bowing down before me, of giving your life to me, of loving me, obeying me with all your heart, all your soul, mind, and strength. So don't look for the kingdoms of this world any longer. They cannot satisfy. They cannot give you joy the way God alone can. And so we're called basically to do what the saints of all the ages have done. Like Abraham, we're looking for that place with foundations that are not of this world. It is a kingdom that is not built with brick and mortar. It is a kingdom that is the eternal kingdom. It is the kingdom that God will issue into its full existence when Jesus, by way of the day of judgment, comes again and gives that gift to all of us. In the words of scripture, who have loved the Lord. I encourage all of us to take heed. And then that brings me to the final point, and that is when you have a concept of being, uh, of having your identity firmly rooted and defined by Christ the King, that you are then a citizen of this King's kingdom, and that this identity and this um, truth um, prompts us to give him worship. Uh, those words are pretty powerful when you read them. Therefore, in light of all that God has done for you, done for his church, done for his people throughout the ages, therefore let us, and that's not just a, a summons of advice, right? Uh, I think it's a good idea if we would all worship the Lord today. <laughs> doesn't quite work that way. God summons us. It's, um, uh, it's hortatory. It is a, is a summons to do this, and we don't have really a choice but to say, Lord, you call us to worship, we are here. We have come, and please accept from us the worship that we bring to you. Why? Because we are receiving a kingdom. And what kind of kingdom? That kingdom that cannot be shaken. Everything else in this kingdom world shakes, falls away, breaks down, but that kingdom is everlasting. And thus, let us wor offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 31, he makes it plain that we are waiting for the day when the order of this age passes, the order in which everything is subject and sus um, yeah, suspect uh, to, uh, not suspect, but uh, um, is, is uh, prone to disintegrate uh, and fall away. We are looking for that day when the Lord comes, when that principle has changed to all things permanent. Um, and that is the new order. 
that is the new world order, uh, not the world order that the United Nations um, uh, seems to be interested in uh, providing when you look at the fine print on their website. I invite you to do that sometime. But the world order that we as Christians are looking for is the world order of the king of kings. And we look for that day. And how do we prepare for that day when we worship him? That's what you were made for. You were, we were made for worship. We have hearts that gravitate towards the maker. And if we don't worship the maker, we end up worshiping his makings, his creation. And so let us be worshipers of the king. Um, the Lord is coming. Worship the Lord Jesus in light of his imminent coming. Worship him with thanksgiving because we have everything to be thankful for. Everything that we give on the day that we receive on a day-to-day basis. And we have opportunity in a moment to say thank you, Lord, for this and for that. But all of that under the umbrella of the ultimate gift that we have and received un as unworthy sinners. We are the recipients of the gift of salvation. And so let us be men and women who give our lives sacrificially, not an hour on Sunday morning, which is the highlight, nonetheless, of all worship that we give. But it is a 24-7 experience, the way I understand things. And so let us see each day as an opportunity to say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for saving me from my sins. Thank you for saving me from destruction that is coming for those who are not in Christ Jesus. And so let us worship the Lord with reverence and awe. That doesn't preclude the idea that we have joy, that we have a spirit of thanksgiving, that we have love and a sense of peace that exudes from a heart that has been changed through the operation of the Holy Spirit. But reverence and awe is a reminder, know who it is that saved you. Know who it is that made this whole universe. He has the power to create life. And he has the power to raise us from the dead as he did Jesus. And he called Jesus from the grave like he called Lazarus, came up from the grave. And we shall be called from that state of death and we'll be resurrected unto newness of life for those of us who are in Christ. We'll be given new bodies and minds, and I look forward to that. And I maybe uh, hear somebody uh, feel that that resonates with you. <laughs> but um, thankful to the Lord that uh, the best is still to come. Um, so let us be kingdom citizens who reverently and with awe give worship to the king who is so worthy, so deserving of our love, of our worship to him. To him be the glory. Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this, your people. Thank you for your grace, your forgiveness. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your mercies. They're new every day because we can never take them for granted. Heavenly Father, we pray that 
as we come to the close of this worship hour, that this worship was pleasing and is pleasing to you. And so, Lord, we pray, will you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, apply these truths to our lives? And we ask it in Jesus' name alone. Amen.